This episode of First Strike is brought to you by MTG X-Ray. MTG X-Ray is an app that provides automated deck building suggestions. You can head over to mtgxray.com to get the latest version. The website itself is going to have a lot of added features, so head over to mtgxray.com today and post your brews. Facegames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. Up to 20, up to 50% off select modern singles. If you've been missing some cards for your modern deck, go check it out. It might be on sale. It might be a lot cheaper. Uh, this week, we got Andy, Elliot, John in the house. John, John I'm especially excited to talk to because he's always in the lab working on modern and then telling us about some results that he sees or some interesting trend. And then Elliot's like, hey, hold on. Take it easy, buddy, and uh, excited to, to how they are, <laughs> they, uh, what, what the results from the lab are. And um, this past weekend, we had the SUG Invitational. Uh, we had myself playing the Arena Super Cup that was hosted by Pascal Menard. And I guess, John, John, did you want the pleasure of, of interviewing me? I will hand the reins to you right now. <laughs> Yeah, we missed the golden opportunity to welcome you as a guest, uh, up and comer. You know, I just started. Uh, I just started playing Magic two years ago. And I didn't even know who you were, and I didn't like you. Never, you ha- I haven't heard of any results from you. So it's like, yeah, we could have just presented you as an up and comer and all that. But Car, um, it's very interesting. Um, I just learned about the um, the Arena Super Cup hosted by Mr. Maynard there like a week or two ago, and uh, had a, it had a nice lineup. I recognized some good names there, and uh, the setup seemed pretty cool as well. But like I'm, I'm as interested to hear about the actual gameplay as much as about um, hearing about the actual experience. Given that it was like a physical event, as but you still, you you guys were still having a setup there, and uh, you know, you said that the wait time, no intentional draws. There are a lot of positives there. So maybe you can like talk a bit about um, the actual non-gameplay experience and you know how the on-site experience was. So, so obviously, what's going to happen is people are going to joke that I love the event because I won. But I, I already like the event. Um, the, 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 problem, the, the problem with the appeal is this is just a tournament series that's just started out, but Pascal, Pascal is someone who has had multiple, he's, he's most famous for uh, taking the foil Tarmogoyth and, and passing um, Burst Lightning that would have been better for, arguably better for his deck. And then he donated that Tarmogoyth for lots of money I mean, he, he sold it for lots of money, but most of it, if not all of it, was for donation. And I think a lot of his fame came from that. But he was also uh, the first uh, site producer that I knew. He started a site called Into Bolivian before I started Man of the Prive, which was a French Quebec-centric strategy contact when I didn't know of anything else locally. Uh, he, he wasn't my inspiration. Uh, it was the, the chess stuff that inspired me more but he was when i wanted to start i was looking around who else already did that and he was the one and not surprisingly he started something that's similar to to daily fantasy sports for magic 
And I don't know how that's doing. And this is yet another project from Pascal. So it's really interesting to see him doing all these projects. And, and this being new, uh, it's hard to get a lot of sponsors behind the idea of, of capturing a, a huge audience. So the first one that he held was a few months ago in Quebec City. And, you know, the first prize for that one and this one is a, a computer. And then throughout the top eight, there's a gift certificate or store credit at different stores and computer stores. And, and of course, some people might not necessarily have wanted to travel for that. And, uh, but I was just happy that this one was in Montreal. I was also happy to sponsor his series. Now, for, for the tournament experience, I was not sure how it was going to go, but just lots of stuff about it because I've always often compared it on a previous episode to poker where at the casino they would replace real-life cards with electronic tables and then people stopped playing because they just really wanted the feel of real-life cards. And I thought the same about Magic. I didn't think it was going to be replaced by a client, but... Uh, and like poker, where if you replace it with electronics, there's not a huge improvement in experience. Magic, it's like you don't have to carry a deck. You don't have to carry pen and dice around you. You just sit down, log in, and you're in. So I thought that there's a lot of stuff that was neat about it and no intentional draws. So there's not all those sketchiness that surrounds that sometimes or when people are trying to convince uh, we've heard scumbag stories, John, of, of people preying on unexperienced that, you know, they tell people that they can draw when they couldn't just so that they could get to the top eight. So pe- everyone's forced to basically play. And the fact that the rounds are so fast that there was enough, there's eight rounds for the day. We started at 10 and we finished well before dinner time. And because they wanted to just keep the stream going, they even had me as a second feature match start later than the rest of the round because, and they were confident that they could fit everything in because it just makes things go smoother. And you know, there's no, there's lots of improvements. Yeah, I was about to say, I can believe it because I remember watching the Mythic Invitational. And so there's a big difference in, uh, so if like the two players are sitting across from each other and playing arena and you can have like face cams and stuff like that, I feel like as a viewer, I still get all of the same things that I really get out of like tabletop. But like, for example, watching the MPL matches, I, they're not entertaining at all to watch. And, but the mythic invitational was, and they're both on the same client. So I think a lot of it still has to do with the face to face thing and uh, seeing players emotions. I like, I love to watch the camera. I love watching like canister every time he draws a card, like especially because you're like across and you can't like, to really see each other's face at the time, you're free to just like show that you're really upset or <laughs> really happy or whatever, what have you. And I think that part of it will be pretty awesome. And obviously the benefits of not having to carry around a deck or worry about card availability or anything like that is just so such a big upside. Like I would rather play with physical cards, but I don't know why there's not like, I don't have a good reason except uh, it's like, it's fun, but I think, like arena is just better except for the fact that if it's not hosted like or well done you'd have to bring your own your computer and then maybe there's weird things like your computer crashes or there's internet issues like it does bring other things into play but like a well-run arena tournament is going to run much better than a well-run paper tournament and 
and just because it's it was 24 people, so small, of course, it's going to feel much smoother and, and nicer. And it's just fun, like, when we're watching the feature matches um, together. It felt like uh, we were all roped around, like, the final feature match game that was put on, on a giant monitor. And all of us were just sitting and watching. We could clearly see everyone's hands and commentate on ourselves on, on who would win. So, I mean, it just felt really good. And even... You don't see the person face-to-face. It was happily shaking people's hands after the match. It was it was an awesome experience. Um, yeah, I can't wait for the next one. They're planning to host it at the Esports Central Arena. And uh, I can't wait for that um, in downtown Montreal. That, would, that just opened like uh, two weeks ago. Do you get an automatic invite? I do. Is it via celebrity or is it because you won the last one? Uh, because I won this one, but okay. Do you get a double invite? Because aren't you a two-time celebrity invite? Did no, you just eat is... up a slot. Was... I just ate up a slot this time. But finally, me and Sindonia and Noxious, both of them that are more famous than me in Hearthstone, uh, huge following. Uh, Noxious with over 200k YouTube subscribers, and uh, the we laughed at the three of us. We're celebrity invites, but all three of us made top eight, both of them playing bat manipulation. Um, so, Carr, uh, what deck did you play? I played White Weenie, but um, I'll be right back. El- Elliot, can you take it away <laughs> with, with your discovery of, of bat uh, manipulation? I gotta, I'll be RB. Uh, well, I guess before I talk about bat manipulation, I just want to tack on to something that KYT kind of glossed over when talking about the running of the arena tournament, which is that getting to see the players' hands is actually a lot of value. To me, at least, one of the worst parts about watching paper coverage is that the commentators will, like, catch a glimpse of the corner of a card, and they'll be like, oh, it's red, you know, it must be lightning bolt he has in his hand, so then the, the whole commentary gets shaped around having lightning bolt, and then, I don't know, it ends up being something else entirely, and it's just like, kind of ruins it almost. That's why at the PT they have like the table spotters and that's not perfect. So I think that being able to see both players' hands, having the full information when you're doing the coverage makes it really easy to follow and really easy to get the better commentary to make the stream and the experience more enjoyable. I don't know if that's a big thing for you guys, John and Andy, but for it's like my biggest pet peeve is not knowing what's going on and having like false info I do love the, oh, he drew this card, and they're like, oh, well, so now that he drew this card, they're going to do this and this and this, and then they're going to do this. Oh, uh, oh, nope, it wasn't that at all. It was a land. It's just so anticlimactic, and then, like, it just feels weird that, like, you just listen to this whole conversation about something that was not true or happening. And I think, yeah, that's one of the best parts about the arena tournaments, for sure, is just full hand information. It yeah, the viewing experience is just way better on Arena, and it's funny because I remember saying uh, like that I thought that the mocks was more enjoyable to watch than a lot of other tournaments, and Arena is a lot better than Magic Online. Magic Online looks ugly, and uh, the cards are super small, but with Arena, everything's big and pretty, and I don't know the games flow a lot faster, and I like uh, I think the viewing experience overall is way better, especially with the hands. Yeah, I'm I mean. The MPL weekly matches have sort of been like the one stain on 
uh, coverage of events being done on Magic Arena, but every single other one we've seen, I think, has been like really fantastic, and I'm really looking forward to the future of that. I, I hope they they step it up for the the uh, Arena PT that's upcoming. I hope it's more closer to the Invitational than it is to the weekly MPL play. Uh, but yeah. moving on to, oh, sorry. Yeah, if you look at the people that are invited, like it looks like it's going to be a lot like the Invitational as opposed to like the the Magic or the Mythic Championship, and it does look exciting. The commentators are all awesome. And I think, uh, yeah, the list of people are awesome too. And I think it's going to be a pretty similar setup, I'll be honest. It was pretty successful. It's nice to, re uh, really nice to see Cedric Phillips actually work in any capacity uh, with the uh, Wizards of the Coast. Because before, I don't think he's like done any commentary on an actual Grand Prix or whatnot. Whereas he was at the Mythic Invitational, he's been commentating on, I think, the fandom league ones but he's i definitely saw his name in the uh, mythic invitational uh announcers uh or commentator roster so i think that's definitely gonna give it a big lift as well as like the other personalities um that's already there yeah i think he may have commentated a few of the gps that scg held and uh i know he's done a couple weeks of the mpl weekly play but seeing him at like the pro tour level is gonna be really awesome i think he's a really great personality on stream doing coverage. And of course he's a friend of KYT. So by extension, a friend of the show. So congratulations to him. Uh, and then moving on to what uh, our father KYT asked me to talk about, which was Bant manipulation or Bant ramp in, in standard. Um, I do think that it's one of the better decks, as he mentioned a couple people in the top eight of the, the invitational tournament that he was a part of. Uh, and it had some pretty good results at the SCG circuit. I, there might have been one copy in the top eight of the, the Invitational, but I think it did well in the Classic, at least, or the, I forget what they named it, maybe the Summer Championships. Um, and it's basically like a, a big step up, I believe, from just the straight blue-green deck, gaining access to both Teferi Time Raveler and things like Tolsimer Friend to Wolves, Lyra Dawnbringer, Shalai. I think you're just like, really good at shoring up the aggro matchups. You know, people are playing things like Arboreal Grazer in the blue-green deck, and which is, you know, it's it's a heinous, mopey card that really has, like, no business being a constructed playable card, but the mono-red deck just beats up on the blue-green deck so much you kind of have to play it. So getting to be banned and have the cards I mentioned previously to, to shore up that matchup, I think, is a big gain. Um, Shalai also, like, some great technology in the mirror. Uh, turns off their mass manipulations entirely. They can take exactly Shalai. Uh, and obviously, you know, if they do, it it's a bit of a, a knife in the back because now your mass manipulations are bad, but you have the other angle of uh, Finale of Glory, I think, is the white one, um, which, you know, you know, a mass manipulation for 12 mana obviously takes that, that four things. That's a huge swing. That can win you the game. But a Finale of Glory for X equals... 10, if you're splitting 12 man on that, instantly you're going to win the game the next turn. There's almost nothing the mass manipulation decks can do. So I do think that's a big gain in the mirror. I think it's a big gain against mono red. And, you know, maybe maybe the Sultai drive toward matchup's a little worse. I couldn't, I don't know, know for sure, but, you know, if you're currently playing blue-green manipulation, I think that you should take a good long look at Bant. Um, I know some of the MPL players also played it in their weekly tournaments or fandom, so that's one to check out. Sorry about that. I'm back. Um, Elliot, so you mainly talked about why you liked uh, Bat over Simic more? 
Yeah, touched on Bant, and also while you were gone, we talked about the viewership experience of Arena with getting to see the hands and having perfect info. Sweet. So right before the show, I don't know if you guys covered it, we, we talked about um, the whole Grazer, Incubation Druid, Ari Lax's article, which I thought was well-written, but I think me and Elliot and you guys agree on those choices. You guys didn't talk about that yet, right? No? Sort of? No, we didn't talk about it yet. Okay, so ta- Tangrams, I talked about the Tangrams list that originally played Grazer, and I've been in contact with him. I've been talking to him about tweaking uh, bat manipulation. I originally liked Grazer and Druid of the Cow, which is what he played in the Simic list, because um, you felt like when you played, like, like Arulax says the matchup is all about who gets Nissa who gets Nissa first, and Grazer and Druid of the Cow are more likely to survive removal. And, and well, Grazer doesn't care. You just accelerate regardless of removal. So that's the whole concept of playing them, and, and that's the whole concept of uh, them playing, Aralax playing Grazer over Incubation Druid uh, for his latest badness. But uh, me and Tangrams, and I think, Elliot, you agree that uh, mass manipulation just sucks if you don't have Nissa or Incubation Druid. So it's kind of weird that you're cutting Incubation Druid, which allows you uh, to cast uh, mass manipulation. So I'm in a spot where I was going to play bad manipulation, but I wasn't exactly sure about the exact configuration that I wanted. I was not happy. I think I mentioned last show, I wasn't not really that excited about Tristani and, and other stuff like that. So you're basically on the same page with all that stuff, uh, Elliot, with uh, the mana guys? Yeah, I, like I think the Arboreal Grazer sucks, even though it survives removal. I think the Druid of the Cowl only tapping for green really sucks. It's just exactly what you said. You need the blue mana. It's Whether you're blue-green or bant, you're going to be choked on blue mana most of the time. Keep in mind, though, guys, um, when uh, when Tangram and I were testing the blue-green version and we had the Grazer and the Cal, this was a metagame where red was still being dominant, and that, that's a matchup that where we struggled, and we, had, we were trying to solve that matchup. Now that red has gone more or less extinct, like, you look at the top eight, top 16 of these, like, major tournaments, like, red has completely gone extinct. The format has, um, format has shifted. So now it's more palatable to be playing a quad blue spell, even though it seems like you guys don't like it very much, whereas mass manipulation wasn't that great against red and gruel, which were the flavors um, of two weeks ago. So the, the transition towards mass manipulation or white cards uh, and like uh, Finale of Glory, for example, um, it, it also makes sense on a metagame, uh, metagame standpoint. And I do appreciate Ari Lax's sentiment of it. Whoever that can jam the turn three Nissa wins because traction is golden. And but um, I'm, I'm not sure if the Grazer is really worth it. It's like without red and without um, a lot of uh, white, for example, the Grazer. Like I was already on the fence about it as well, and it, it, I don't think it just cuts it anymore. I, I think the yeah. So the thing is, it's it's when you don't have Nissa. Um, that's when it's it feels really bad, and and it's because the deck lacks something else that is as powerful as Nissa when you're just grazering, when you're just grazering, and for now, let's say you grazer up to an early five or six mana. I think against some matchups, even like making a bunch of tokens with with white finale is not enough. So um, I, I, I don't know. I think, but I've played the Incubation Druid version where I just get completely wrecked by certain decks. 
So I'm still exploring uh, what what my my favorite um, configuration is. Uh, the other thing that already Blacks touched on was the the list that finished ninth that ended up cutting all. I think all J Light Rangers. Um, Elliot, do you think you, you should shave that? What, what do you think about that? That it doesn't really. Um, I mean, it's obviously in a vacuum a solid magic card, but may not be the best card in the deck. And they're using that as a, as a flex thought to try different things. I think that J Light Ranger is really important to the strategy. Uh, I've seen a lot of lists playing, you know, zero, two, four, like er- everywhere on the spectrum. Um, and I, I personally can't tell you the right answer of how many you're supposed to play, but I, I think it's really, really important, especially for playing Arboreal Grazer, um, just because you need to recruit, you need to hit the, hit your land drops with Arboreal Grazer, because if you, you know, if your if your goal is to play, is to ramp with Arboreal Grazer, you need to recoup the land, so you need to, like, you're minus a card sort of thing, even though the land's in play, if that makes sense. And as soon as you miss a land drop, you're negating the ramp that the Arboreal Grazer gave you. Um, so Jaylight Ranger finding you additional lands when you have the Grazer, super, super important. But also, what we just talked about is how important having a Nissa is. You know, you want to be playing turn three Nissa on the play. Sure, I mean, if you're casting Jaylight, that's not really the case, but you need to hit Nissa. You need to hit your big, expensive, splashy spells of this deck. You're, it's not going to cut it just casting Mana Doors. So I think that Jade Light is actually a really good tool for digging towards those, as well as giving you the land drops. It, it can attack Planeswalkers. I think it's just... It kind of checks all the boxes that the deck is looking for. It's not a, like a, a 10 out of 10 at any of them, but I think just, you know, being a, a 5 or a 6 out of 10 at, at 4 or 5 things is what the deck needs. We've seen, well, Matt Stein was on the show and he felt he like discovered Gift of Paradise. Are people even playing that card? No. I, I haven't seen a Gift of Paradise. <laughs> I love the Andy reaction. No, no chance. <laughs> well, why, why would you? It's not playable. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Andy, you were asking me what I ended up piloting. Um, so I, I talked about how I mean, I'm not like Andy. I'm not a mental boss. Um, at the Ottawa MCQ, played uh, Sultai Dreadhorde. Hate, hated. I, I didn't hate the mirror. It's just that it drained me. That that was it. Like I, I could play them. I'm comfortable knowing what matters, etc. But uh, against mid range, I just I just felt miserable after uh, three rounds of it. So, wanted something that went way over the top, like mass manipulation or or white finale or just Nissa win. Or, or something low to the ground. And people were telling me on Twitter that they were hitting Mythic with this white weenie deck that they were crushing. And then Jerry wrote his latest article, said that, in his opinion, it was like the best-kept secret, secretly crushing uh, everything, the best deck that no one else is playing. So I, I decided to load it up on Arena. Did pretty well, so decided to play it. And... And the author of the deck is, he wrote an article on Hipsters of the Coast, and he mentioned that you know, the only matchup that he probably doesn't want to see and, and is not favorable is Mono Red, because you have all these X1s, you have Andantil Vanguard, you have uh, 2-1 Flyers, Chain Whirler, and you're way behind. So, but as John alluded to, Mono Red is on a decline, and at this invitation, no, I, I just expected people to probably play a mix of some of the hottest decks. That's why Sidonia and Noxious both play in bad manipulation. 
ended up being that mono red was only two copies out of the 24. I ended up beating it in round three. Pretty lucky. He was stuck on two lands. I felt like it was going to be a, a rough matchup. Um, but to um, continue on, on the traction point on Arilax, well, we've mentioned it on the show before, like the turn three Nissa, who, who, and me and Alex have also talked about this. And it just seems like with White Wing, especially maybe this format in particular, because of all the planeswalkers and all the incremental advantage that being on the play, maybe, I mean, I think we just stressed this almost every format, but being on a play just feels more important than previous constructive formats and me going 5-0 with the deck, winning every single game one in the top eight uh, really gave me a huge advantage to take down the whole event. Um, there's a huge difference. Uh, you know, it just affects everything uh, for me. Getting that two damages with a 2-1, being able to hit City's Blessing earlier. Um, maybe on the draw, I'm not able to flip Legion's Landing. So there's a lot of things like that. And, and of course, on top of the, the whole Planeswalker incremental advantage on that front where, you know, when they Teferi bounce you, and even if you kill it with a spell, they're already up a card. So that's why um, White Weenie felt really good on the play. It felt really aggressive. And um, there was one time where I was the backup feature match, and they couldn't even get to my feet match because mine, I was done. Like, they started my match after feature match one was done their game one, and I finished before, like, I feel like they, I think they exaggerated. I basically finished my match before they even finished sideboarding or something silly like that. So that's how fast the model uh, white that could be. And I'm curious about the invasion because I wasn't in love with the sideboard. I was playing, like, Dawn of Hope, Ajani's that are okay, but felt little meager, little weak, um, especially in the finals when I was playing against Esper Control, when things were stabilizing. I'm like, am I really going to get there with, like, making one ones or really slowly reviving a 2-1 with a Johnny? I mean, it just didn't felt like... It felt like my opponent probably drew really bad to not be able to beat me. Um, and the innovation from this weekend, I don't know if it comes from Jerry, John, I don't know if you know, but... One of the copies, top eight it. They added Experimental Frenzy in the sideboard, and I think that has uh, more potent uh, – it's a more potent inclusion, especially when I was thinking – I think we all think Frenzy is one of the best cards in the format, but it fits specifically Mono Red because of its cheap burn spells. Uh, it also can – with Steam can, can just sort of go off. And um, But I could see the appeal of Mono White because Mono White actually has some Convoke spells, so you could – go off, go multiple spells in one turn. So I'm interested in this version. I, I played bat manipulation on the arena queues last night, ran into this version. So people are aware and are playing this. Uh, yeah. Uh, John, do you know, do you know where it comes from? I mean, I'm pretty sure it came from the uh, Andrew Ellenbogen and PT um, Ravnica, Guilds of Ravnica era, where um, there were like four or six white Winnie decks in the top eight. Um, it's an old, it's like an old tech, but the blue splash uh, became uh, became the preferred choice because of the that, uh, Nexus uh, matchup and where permission was really useful. And once Nexus kind of fell off, um, it does make sense that they mostly went to the mono white uh, setup here. But um, I, I, we we were talking in our chat about how like white weenie was something like I might I might consider playing, but every time I try to name off, like, some bad matchups, I, I was like, wait, I can't beat 
Jessica's super friends, they can't beat uh, any sweepers and all that. So it doesn't make sense that the frenzy was the um, splash of choice. Uh, I'm kind of skeptical about the Dawn of Hope, but keep in mind, uh, last season, one of the hardest cards for Esper Control to beat was a Flip the Danto. So in that regard, it, it, I can see it being very good. Um, but yeah, I think red is not only like not around anymore, but um, I played a bunch against like white and spe specifically the white red version of the weenie deck. And I, I never really won more than like 40, 50 percent of the matchup. I think not having to play an X one, you know, having four enforcers really changes the texture of the um, uh, the matchup because without having to play like a, another crappy X one, like a healer's hawk, for example, your your guys are more likely to survive a turn three chain whirler, and then you know just like having the elephant, uh, more consistent elephant turn is going to really flip flip the matchup. So I, I actually think that the white weenie matchup against the red, I think white is slightly favored now, and if you can survive the sweeper half of the um, sweeper half of the uh, format, it, it, you really are good against uh, uh, manipulation. You really are good against Guru. You really are good against Phoenix. So, like, I'm not surprised that Jerry was on it this week, and I'm glad you chose it as well because clearly it was very good. Yeah, I actually ran like ran into bat manipulation on Arena, and I felt I felt like I, I'm a huge uh, have a huge edge. Um, Definitely against any Grazer version. <laughs> against the Incubation, they could actually get, like, a 3-5 is actually pretty good against uh, my deck. Uh, like, a key 3-5 if I'm stumbling, if I'm you know, half a step slower than I normally am, if my hand is not as good. A 3-5 actually can, can stonewall my deck in time for them to just uh, mass manipulate my whole board, which has happened. Um, yeah, yeah, like you said, uh, I, I w was scared to face... The Esper control deck in the finals, John, because it was basically an Esper control deck with both Kaya's Wrath um, and Cry, some amount in in the main, and uh, you just have so many. I mean, basically dead cards. You have a lot of X one, X twos, X ones that can only go up to X twos with their, with your buffs, and then you have enforcers that don't really tap anything in their deck. So I just felt like my deck had a lot of lot of dead cards against it, but but thankfully he just uh, drew very poorly. Uh, I'd imagine the Vanguard did a lot of work for you in this meta game because Vanguards when red is like number one deck is like unheard of. Like you can't you can't possibly do that. But now that red's kind of receding into the background, Vanguard's good against like so many decks like Just Guy, Super Friends, uh, uh Drakes and Phoenix and it, it, it attacks through most like uh, most of the explore creature package and I assume like Vanguard is very good. Yeah, Vanguard was excellent, and I just just allows for and always sweet when you can tap. We can you tap everything for for locks of I mean, I, I always felt that was the one of the few tough decisions was whether to attack or whether you just like take a turn off to to buff. But oftentimes, it's all like that decision is also pretty obvious based on the stats of uh, your opponent's creatures and what they have on the field. Um, Annie, did we talk about what you're planning to play at your next important tournament? Let's get down to it if we haven't. Um, so I have a PTQ this weekend, and the decks I'm choosing between are just two decks, I think. Uh, maybe three. Bant Ramp, maybe. Uh, Saltai Dreadhorde or Esper Midrange, like the Esper Hero deck. I think uh, I like a lot of the things that the Saltai deck does, but I, I just uh, I fear – sometimes I fear playing those kind of decks. But I think uh, – 
I think Esper just has proven to be so good, right? Like, all the cards are so good. The only problem is that, like, once you get behind, sometimes it's sort of rough. But I think, yeah, so mainly between those three decks, I'm not quite sure yet. I'm going to probably have to jam a lot on Arena, but I've tested all of them a whole lot. And I'm not sure yet. What about what about your favorite card, Arclick Phoenix? I like that card a lot, and I like that. Uh, I like. I think the deck's okay. I just. Uh, I don't think I want to be playing that deck in a field full of Narset. I know Fournier somehow managed to uh, overcome that card, but I don't know how. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna shout out Justin Richardson in the chat. Me and him have been talking some blue red Phoenix, get picking his brain and. He just like he's been playing the Fournier list. Doesn't understand how it wins. He he doesn't like Sahili, etc. I I don't know how you feel, Andy, but uh, um, but apparently there's a, a version swirling around that does not play any Goblin Electromancer, and uh, I'm excited to see if that one's good or just hot garbage. I don't know if you've seen that. I have seen that, and. Uh... I'm not sure yet. I haven't uh, tested with it. Goblin Electromancer is the best card in the deck sometimes. And sometimes it's a 2-2 that doesn't do a whole lot. So <laughs> maybe the swings are worth it. But like, is replacing it with uh, Augur of Bolas going to help? Because I think I played a few of that. I don't know, because Augur of Bolas <laughs> is also pretty swingy. So I, uh, I'll leave that up to someone else because I don't know the answer yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I've... Th- said at least five times on this show when man something something happens with electromancer they're just so explosive but then when i kill it i'm just like ooh, it's like the whole party just ended for me yeah it was brad carpenter though who played that list i think and uh, he was like one of the first people on like the eight drake deck that actually became very good a couple formats ago with like all the dive downs and the spell pierces in the main deck and just zero arc light phoenixes I think he was one of the first people on that, and he might have top-aided an Invitational with it, or he built the deck and some people on his team did. So I think that's, uh, I don't know, if there's someone to respect an opinion on uh, the blue-red archetype, it's it's that guy. Okay, so we got not really, like, what, what's the, well, okay, what were we playing if our t- tournament was tomorrow? Starting with you, John, go, just the deck you would play. I like White Weenie. I, I mean, I've been trying to proof out White Weenie even before my Magic Stronghold uh, MCQ two weeks ago, which, by the way, was won by Is a, uh, is a Phoenix by a very good local player. I think um, I, I think I won something that was previously oppressed by the presence of Red because we don't see that anymore. I would actually maybe like try to proof out the feather deck. Like it, it seems like a meme. It's kind of like a standard, uh, standard uh, infect deck, but it's gotten some results. And you know maybe like the evasion on like the repeat value from feather might be good enough. I, I might give it a try. But um, absent all of that, I think I probably would try the white weenie deck and possibly what mono white, possibly red. Okay, white weenie or feather, uh, Elliot, bad manipulation. Uh, if it's tomorrow, definitely bat manipulation. But I'm I'm open to try some things. And Eddie, uh, if it's if it was tomorrow, salt eye dread horde. Salt eye dread. All, all different choices. All different choices. What I would play, I don't know. Probably probably white weenie. But I'm I'm excited to talk to Jerry because he said like he played white weenie splash red. But apparently 
He said that he should have just played. He, he liked the deck, but he should have just been playing Esper uh, Heroes because the deck is bonkers. But now we welcome someone, uh, a special guest on the show, someone who finished 14 at the SCG Invitational this past weekend. Not only that, but his deck has actually been net decked at the Arena Super Cup I was playing by at least two players who were telling me, yeah, I'm just playing this guy's list. So it's also uh, contributed to Channel Firewall 4. Welcome, Gabriel Laporte, to the show. How's it going, Gab? Hey, good. Thank you. You? Very good. Hey, very good. Thank you for having me on here. So you had you crushed it with Standard, so much so that, that people just net that your entire list at the Arena Cup I, I was at. And uh, I was like, how many four drops does it play? And it plays a lot of four drops. Uh, it plays a bunch. Four hearts like Phoenixes, two uh, Ridger Raptors. I played uh, and No Life Feroxes in the main deck to beat Esper Ero because Blastica Bell Hunt was hard to beat. And it's funny people net decked my list, but I, I also said it the deck on Facebook like the night before. Uh, they were asking what should I play. One of them is actually my roommate. The other one's a real good friend of mine. We worked a little bit together. I think uh, the one you played in the semifinals, you had a Dumber's Ambush in his deck, and I think that that should have been in my sideboard for the actual tournament. Okay. So, um, yeah. Like, was that his innovation, or...? Yeah, he put it in a deck without telling me, and it ended up serving me in the standard uh, summer championship on Sunday at the Invitational. I actually liked the deck very much, and I didn't quite like Darth the Daredevil after playing the whole tournament. Well, I also didn't see a bunch of red at the actual Invitational, so that card was pretty useless. Okay, so so let's just start from the beginning. Actually, no, let's learn more about you. Where are you from, and uh, how did you get started in Magic? Um. Magic Grinder for Quebec City, I've started playing at Battle for Zendikar with the help of Philip Garreau. He taught me basically everything I know about competitive magic. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have diverging opinion nowadays. Like, he dislikes aggro decks. I like them quite a bit. Um, I've played magic for like 20 to 30 hours a year for like the last three years, playing on Modo, Arena. At some point, I was in between jobs and I was Modo grinding for a living. That was nice. Uh, in the last three years, I played about seven RPT, six RPTQs, top 16 at least, each of them, top 8 at 2, went to the Pro Tour once, top 8 in SCG uh, Open in Wooster with Burn, and I played at the SCG Invitational this weekend. So how, how did you, uh, th- did you start the format on Gruel? What we'll put you on the deck, on the archetype? Um, my roommate was my roommate was eating me because I was playing like four color dread ord since Andrastrowski played it on stream. Was your roommate at the Arena Super Cup? Uh, yes, I think you played him, Adrian. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he was playing Gruel every day for like the past month, telling me how good it was, what I was missing, and I was just dismissing it, saying like Thorn Lieutenant is not good enough of a card. There's no way I'm gonna register that in any standard deck, <laughs> <laughs> and then. While driving down to the Invitational, I was trying to brew the best Sultai Dreadord list, and uh, somebody just messaged me, hey, look at my Gruul list, it looks awesome. And it played four New Light Feroxes, some Arclight Phoenixes, some Ribja Raptor, which I actually never thought about, but the mirror can't ever beat a Ribja Raptor that resolves. And I was like, wow, this looks awesome, but why are you playing Thorn Lieutenant? And he said, well, my Esper opponent can never Teferi Minus on it, because I'm going to kill it right after, so they have to plus, and then they just lose a bunch of tempo. They lose the card that they would draw from Teferi. 
I'm like, wow, that's way better than the two the two drop riot goblin after all. Wow, that makes sense. Um, so, what deck uh, do you th- are you ho- hoping to face with this list? Um, I think the Monoran matchup is quite favorable. I also like the Esper midrange matchup if they play Arrow of Prison Quan. If they don't play it, they're going to rely more on Planeswalkers, and those versions are quite harder to beat for me because they're going to have more way to stabilize, they're going to play Yugin, they're going to play more Lilianas in their main deck, they're not going to have Command the Dreadhorde, their list is going to be built differently. So I was looking to beat the Gromare, Mono Red, I was also looking to beat Esper Hero. Uh, I believe, incidentally, the Phoenix matchup is actually good. Okay. Because they don't do much during the actual first three to four turns of the game. You aggro them out and can close the game with Skargan, Alkite, or Nolite, Firoxes. Hmm. And so I was debating that because I only played the white weeding list for two days. So I don't, talking to, to some of your friends, I, I don't know how the matchup, like I beat them, but I felt like I was on a play. I was pretty lucky with, with explosive draws. And, and in the semifinals, I mean, I ran into multiple no-hide Feroxes that I just couldn't deal with. It would cost me three mana to tap it down. So what, what do you think, the, how do you think the matchup plays out against White Weenie? It's not a matchup that I've actually played often on Arena because White Weenie was not super popular. Um, I feel like this, like you have to be on the play with a turn one Lanor Elf and just play a four drop aggressively. Um, Larun and Forsen is one of the best cards that you can play against it. I saw it on coverage. You were just tapping down the Fee Rocks and attacking for three or four every turn. This is how you usually win against Gruul with White Weenie. Um, the good cards are probably Ribja Raptor. Um, I think that Skarganelka is a bit too slow, so you'd like to board one or two of them out, keep one incidentally in the deck. You can make it a 5 5, paint down some creatures. They both kept Thorn Lieutenant post board, and I think that I disagreed with their decision. It blocks in the early game, but does nothing in the late game, and you never have the time to invest six mana into it. Whereas if you trade your Grove Chamber Guardians, you can actually get another one from your deck, play it back, pay, pay three mana into it, and generate card advantage mid-combat like this. So I think it plays around turn one Lana or Ralph, and not having turn Luton in your deck was board. Sweet. So, so you had mentioned... That maybe Dire Fleet Daredevil isn't that good with, with less Mono Red in the field. Are, are there any other changes you would consider with your list? Um, on the Sunday in events, I cut them for Dumri's Ambush. I think that going forward, I would maybe remove Thorn Lieutenant from my deck since uh, Mono Red is not a thing anymore. While it's good against the Fairy on three, it doesn't do much more than that. I would put four Druids of Paradise in my deck. Uh, and then that puts me with two flex slots that I'm a little bit confused about. Probably put some shocks in there for now because I can actually shock the dorks from bet manipulation decks, which are not a good matchup. I don't think I'm going to go back to main deck Legion Warbus, which is a deck that Wyatt Darby tried for a while. Um, I like the, the kind of gameplay I have with a deck, a more mid-rangey version, less aggressive, what's a better game, late game plan. Maybe try to put some Vivian in the main board. Okay. Which ups the curve, so you would have to remove a Skargan Elkite, have four or five drops in your deck, but with uh, Paradise Druids, you're actually fine. So so you mentioned here and there about your matches, but um, just briefly, I'm looking quickly at the SCG Invitational Top 8. If you were expecting a field of Esper superheroes, Sultai Dreadhorde, Simic, Mass Manipulation, how, how do you feel your deck? Would that be a good choice to bring your deck to this tournament? Not very good, I think. Um, <laughs> I actually, I actually think the top eight of this event is 
exactly those deck because they metagame properly the tournament. Um, I went just one level under them and I was able to dodge those decks. I lost against the winner of the tournament in round 11, I think. And we talked about the matchup and I agreed that the way he was sideboarding was different from all the others. He was keeping the Arrow of Princic one in his deck, but removing the Narsets. And a round later, I play against Pete Ingram, and he does the opposite and loses to me. And like he plays a turn three Narset, I play a turn three Guru Spellbreaker, and there's nothing I can do at that point. I'm just going to attack for four, which becomes huge because if he plays a Ballistica Bell on, then I put a No Life Ferox in play, and the game just turns around. Whereas if he would have an Arrow of Princic one, he could just block with the tokens. And then my six six does nothing. But yes, if if the the field is ramp deck and hero decks, I don't think I would be playing Gruel anymore. Hmm. Okay. Any of you guys ha- have any question for Gruel champion over here? Man, I guess I asked them all. John, come on, come on. No, like I'm looking at his list right now, and I like I like the deck building here. One of the th- one of the things I was impressed with Gruel was that, um, despite it being like a dumb red green beatdown deck, it's very customizable. And some of the decisions that you made, like just you know just having only three uh, Scargan Hellkites, um, so you don't get bogged down in them, or having Collision Colossus, which was a card I was really impressed with so much that I really wanted to splash green in mono red. Two weeks ago, just for that card, so it can cover. It can offer coverage to uh, on Lyra and Shalai and uh, Kefnet, etc., etc., and Hydro Hydro Crisis while not being a dead card as a pump. So um, I, mean, I, I think that the list is clearly well thought out, and I really like a lot of the options. And I'm not surprised that um, he did well, uh, Gabriel. Um, but burn burn was an interesting decision on, on the modern side. That, that's what I was more interested about. Um, I ended up playing Burn because I've been playing it for a while. And when you look at the top dogs of this tournament, it's Human, Tron, U-White, Phoenix, and Dredge. And the only actual bad matchup in those is Dredge. Um, if you know how to play against Human and you keep uh, less creatures on the draw against them, you're going to be able to just aggressively Serenglaze their Thalias, turn three, kill their dorks. If you just slow down their clocks enough and use your burn spell as removal spells, you're going to win the late game off a random goblin guy that you finally get to attack with, the Grimlomancer. I think the matchup is closer than what people are going to give it credit for, but the way U-White is built at the moment, there's no way they can just beat burn. They don't play timely reinforcement anymore. They're going to play more like controlly version of their deck. I think that the actual metagame spread at the Invitational was good for burn, and I believe Kevin also debated uh, the event with burn. His list was unique, but ended up performing well. Yeah, I definitely, I, I've been thinking about Burn. Burn has been uh, put on the sidelines since uh, Dredge has become a, a dominant force. And, you know, e- e- my, pre- my preferred approach as Burn is either to just punt the matchup or have six um, Leyline slash uh, uh, Ravenous Trap, either or. I see you do have a lot of the Graveyard Hate as well. Um, but the way Blue White is built now, which has like, well, it's bad that they have self-spell pierce for you guys, but it's good that they're not having timelies. And their three drops, their intermediate plays are Teferi and Narsets, which you just like laugh at, right? So that's great. Um, I, I've, heard, I've, I've heard different things about the humans matchup. Certainly when the uh, formation was more towards the full Aurea uh, version, I, I would imagine it was tougher. However, um, I was kind of lamenting in, uh, to my friends that a lot of the human stock list is now going towards four ley lines um, 
to combat the Hogarth uh, menace. And if that's the case, they surely must cut some, if not all, of the Oryx champions. And if that's the case, uh, I do agree with you. Like Phoenix, for example, Tron, and even against like Dredgevine, it might be that Burn is fast enough. Uh, I know Monorad Phoenix is pretty uh, favored against um, Hogarth, so it might be that if um, Hogarth replaces Dredge with Creeping Chill, for example, uh, which is to be seen, like Burn actually might be a very sneaky choice. So um, I think I think you're actually ahead of the curve in terms of uh, when you want to be playing Burn. But yeah, I, I think it was a very gutsy and impressive choice to play Burn, and uh, clearly it paid off for, uh, paid off for you. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think I think it ended up well. I was lucky on matchups also. I played against uh, Edgar's teammate Pete Ingram, and he was playing the Ben Walker pile, and I just can't lose against those kinds of matchups with Burns. So, John, John, okay, what's uh, what's going on in the modern lab, John? What should be what should people be playing in modern? Well, uh, let me tell you about a little story about uh, a humble zombie called Hogarth and the Altar of Dementia and Friends. Uh, between Altar of Dementia, uh, Hogarth, Arisen Necropolis, and Caring Feeder, uh, for those who are not paying attention, Modern Horizons isn't even officially out yet. And last weekend on in the Modern Challenge, 10 Hogarth Ridgevine decks were in the top 32. 10. That is unheard of in terms of a new deck just taking over a week one metagame. And there's a lot of um, videos, there's a lot of like, funny like meme uh, screenshots on Twitter about it. But I think, I don't think it's a flash in the pan. I think the power level of this Dredge, it's not even Dredge, uh, Hogarth Bridgevine deck that, ha- that is versatile. It can just beat down like a Brid- uh, Bridgevine deck or it can mill you out, combo mill you out on turn three. I think the power level is probably higher than the uh, Golgari Grave Troll Dredge days, which quite says something. And I think that you definitely have to uh, be ready for it. And it's going to warp the format somewhat. Actually, War of the Spark and Modern Horizon may be the highest impact uh, consecutive sets for Modern, let alone like Eternal formats like that, that's ever been printed. And yeah, you got to be ready for Hogarth. You got to be ready for... Uh, uh, Allosaurus Rider combo. Um, I'm, I finished uh, 6-2 in the challenge myself with Allosaurus Rider. I'm actually going to be trying to record a video for that, um, a walkthrough video for that, for those who are interested. Um, I think the line has clearly been divided right now. Either you're on the unfair fun side, which is like Devoted Druid, uh, Pete Ingram and uh, Edgar Maglias um, played during the weekend, or uh, uh, Allosaurus Rider, or um, Hogarth, or you're on the Fun Police side, which have also gotten very good tools, like Blue-White with Force Negation. Um, uh, I think that's excellent. Uh, humans with the uh, Unsettled Mariner, and they're moving towards four ley lines now. I think that's very good. And if, if you're not doing either of those things and like ch- just trying to dirtle and do random things in the middle, like I, I fear for your performance. So like, I would definitely look at these decks, and I think these decks will define the Tier 1 for the first two, three weeks of uh, Modern Horizons mo- uh, Modern. Horizons modern. Mm. So you're saying, hashtag MGE Finance, that people should be buying Modern Horizons and War of the Spark boxes and sit on them. I mean, Karn like, the Great Creator is going to be restricted in Vintage, I'm sure of it. Karn has uh, spawned 
Karn-centric builds of previous archetypes, as well as revive uh, potentially tier one now uh, archetypes like Bomberman in Legacy, and Narset's warping the play pattern of uh, both both Legacy and Modern as well. There's a lot of high impact uh, cards, and we haven't really even touched like uh, scale up for uh, Infect or uh, what is it called, Lavadar for Mono Red Phoenix. I think it's a very very uh, it's a very impactful set, two sets actually. So yeah, I, I think this is going to change modern, the modern landscape at the very least as we know it. Gabriel, have you, have you put in uh, much thought uh, with the new cards in, in, in Modern Horizons? Uh, I ended up being like dismissive a bit of the first time I saw Ugart. I was like, people are going to try to play this in Dredge. It's going to end up being back, bad, but I'm impressed with the deck. I'm going to be honest, I haven't played Modo since the set was released. But I was excited about the Horizon Lands. Um, definitely going to try to put some in some aggressive strategies and probably going to just end up playing who guards like everybody until they ban something. Hmm. John, John, did you get your copies from Face to Face? Yeah, so shout out to uh, face2facegames.com. I actually, uh, <laughs> I've been going gold fishing a bunch. I have like a 68% win rate on uh, competitive leagues uh, with the Allosaurus Rider combo. And... My plan is, I think I'm going to go to GP Seattle. I'm going to go to go play on the PTQ with the Allosaurus Rider uh, combo. It's not affected by Leyline the Void. It's not affected by uh, Rabbit Trap. And I think Cage is pretty bad right now, but we'll see. But uh, my thesis was that if people are going to slow down with Karn, the Great Creator decks, and Narset decks, you want to be uh, going under them. So, in fact... Storm, I think, is very good right now. Allosaurus Rider. Like that, that's like where I want to be. You know, like uh, unfair deck that can go under these like control and mid-range and uh, uh, big mana decks that can also have a fighting chance against like fun police like humans. So uh, yeah, I face to facegames.com. I bought all the cards, it's gonna come, and I'm afraid that there will be uh, bans and restrictions in the BNR announcement after TT Barcelona. So my plan is to just have my fun terrorizing people for maybe like three months, and then we'll see where I go. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not saying I hope your deck gets banned before you ever get to play it in a tournament, but <laughs> I hope your deck gets banned before you ever get to play it in a tournament. <laughs> that was my last face-to-face.com order. Honest. <laughs> um, um, uh, Andy, but but what do you think people will be playing? Do you think it's it's still sort of modern has still been even with the most popular deck, the, the metagame is still sort of flat sometimes, like in terms of popularity. So do you uh, foresee yourself facing a lot of Hogarth decks? Uh, if you're playing online where like your collections are more liquid, then yeah, for sure. Uh, in a real tournament, I think people will like try to find excuses to keep playing whatever deck they have, so they don't have to spend two thousand dollars. I think uh, you'll play against the the Hogar deck more than you uh, like you would play like Dredge in the past. I think it'll be more popular than that. But uh, I don't know. Let's well, uh, let modern be what it is as long as I don't have to play it. <laughs> John, like, do you expect it to be popular? Uh, online, certainly, where it's liquid. Um, Dredge Dredge is the archetype that's not like user intuitive per se, but I think people are going to be like, drawn in by the, all the meme videos and Twitch clips and like 
bootstrap and all that. I think definitely the Spike uh, uh, community will ha get a, have a hard look at it, and they will conclude, I think, that the power level is very high. Like, will, will, it, will it see bans? I think it's borderline. I think it can be hated out, but I think it can play through hate fairly well because if you just mold into Leyline, for example, they'll just beat you down with, like, two, one man and one, two ones and all that. And, like, there's a very safe fail case, which admittedly is not great, but it's there, which makes a difference. Um, I do think the um, if I were to uh, make a bet, I do think that come like August or wherever the next next uh, BNR is, it's going to, um, it's likely to get a ban, maybe bridge from below, as well as um, Allosaurus Rider. It just cannot be permitted to stay, especially with London Mulligan. So um, I would guess that people are going to um, pick it up more more likely than not, if if only to just like make sure that you know they can have their fun, just like the people with Io Ugin did um, maybe two years ago. Right, Gabriel. Any thoughts? Any other thoughts? And what tournaments or content? Anything we might be looking forward in the future coming from you in the Magic the Gathering world. Uh, I'm going to play at the Montreal or PTQ this week. Uh, sorry, PTQ this weekend. Uh, probably gonna write an article about how, to, how I built Gruel and how like the six different ways you can build Gruel in the standard format because I've tried a little, little bit of all of them. And I'm definitely gonna play more of the SCG tour. And that I like, I have a bite for it. I have some results. People are very nice. I've made some good friends. So rooming arrangements are easier now. <laughs> People are nice. That, that's awesome. Um, what do you what do you expect to be at the meta game? So I was at I don't know if you played the Montreal one that Face held, where I, I ended up going through every single list after the tournament to to post that meta game breakdown and, and Mono Red was huge and historically people have played Mono Red in Montreal no matter what. So what would you expect at Valet Carl this Saturday? I think you're right. People in Montreal usually play what's more accessible because they don't play much of standard. So I would expect uh, Mono Red. I would expect the Esper Super Friends deck because people in Montreal just tend to play the deck that won the last tournament. That's just always how I felt about Montreal tournaments. So people are going to play Esper Super Friends. They're going to play Mono Red because they have that and that's all they have in standard. Um, I would expect Cruel to be popular just because it's an aggressive strategy that plays uh, some Scargan Elkai, some Rekindling Phoenixes, it's not that hard to build. I was looking on two MTG Goldfish, it's like $200 US. It's not that expensive to build for like a weekend tournament. Uh, I know Davies Clark was on here talking about the deck a few weeks ago. Right, right. I would probably not expect Nexus deck, not too many ramp decks. Uh, just because they're new, their arena flavored cards are probably some like a little bit harder to find. Nissa's popular, so if you don't have Nissa in your deck, there's no way you're going to be able to build that. Right. I think, and I think people just in general enjoy playing Dreadhorde strategies because it's just really powerful card, lots of planeswalkers. And I feel like that's why I ran into so many of them in Ottawa, and I expect people will be playing them in Montreal as well. Um, so do you think so? So you think Gruel might be okay, a good choice because Mono Red will be a presence. I think because of the way Montreal grinders are, yes, but it's only because of the, like the way the city works. I wouldn't play it at a bigger event. All right, all right. Anything else you want to plug? Anyone you want to thank while we uh, um, 
while we finish this segment with you? Um, I want to say thank you to the Twitter team that I'm in. They're called Solitary Esport. They've been sponsoring me for a little while, and they're super supportive of what I do. We're five of us in this little group of people. Uh, they're real nice. I know Michael Mapson's on there. Uh, he paid a GP with Emulite back then. And, yeah, I want to say thank you for having me on here. Uh, and I guess I'll see you all at the Magic Tournament. Yeah, I'll see you, we'll see you at the Magic Tournament, and we'll see you back on here once you uh... – you know, take down another event or, or whatever. Excited to, to pick your brain. Um, I think we really enjoyed you as a guest and how you broke down your ghoul list. It was excellent. Thanks. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you, Gar. Okay. That was Gabriel Laporte. Finished 14th at the latest SCG Invitational. So let's, let's wrap up with this topic. If you ever feel like contributing to the show, go to patreon.com slash first strike. Or just tweet about the show, mention it to your friends, mention it on on Reddit specifically. That's the best place for clout. Even though I think we all agree it can be a pretty it could be a pretty bad place, but uh, it could also be a pretty good place. Um, last topic I, we addressed this before the stream, the actual stream um, crashed. Yeah. <laughs> He did call me car. I love people who call me car. What's like, you call me KYT when you're like, you sort of know me for, for my content production. But when you call me car, that's when we're like, we, we go from fan follower to like friend, you know. So uh, this week we finally announced, uh, Wizards finally announced 16 people that were invited to the Mythic Arena Championship uh, beyond the MPL people um, and, and other people. And I, I was shocked it took this long. I thought, I was wondering why, maybe, like, because of the fallback before they they wanted to take their time. But they, they knew, no matter what, like, people are going to be negative in certain aspects about it. And um, I think, to no surprise, some people were, were picked uh, because they, they filled a certain demographic. They Some of them really put in the grind when it comes to streaming. I think I mentioned, or a lot of us have mentioned, why Darby, like, he streams at, like, the perfect time, like, after the show, like, late nights. Like, him and, and Juza fill the slot, and they get a bunch of people watching them, and, and they've been putting in the grind. So a lot of people invited, uh, not surprised. And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to go directly to you, John. I think that the main thing people think is a con is that people have no clue what the criteria is to get into um, the stream. Uh, into being invited. So they're confused. But is that a negative to you? Is that actually a negative? Does it matter? So let me let me first just like uh, preface this by saying that I think the decision to have discretionary invites for this sort of criteria, whether it's uh, uh, covering geograph- geographic or demographic um, or just like like covering representation um, in general, I think it it can be a, it can be a good business decision as well as being very good for the game. So, I think I like where they're going with this. Um, my my issue is twofold. One, um, the fact that uh, the MC qualifiers were advertised a certain prize pool, and I don't believe that with this this. Um, uh, additional invite invitees, they scaled up the prize pool. So they were promised something, they were promised X and now their equity or uh, in the prize pool, um, their equity in a tournament, dollar equity in a uh, tournament is less than what was advertised, what was like, what they were working towards. So I think 
uh, it, it might be that like they're trying to like make this up as they go, which uh, we were we're so used to that from Wizards. It's disappointing, and uh, I think that's what it is. So I think that's a, a bad part. Um, the other thing I am curious about, and that's being echoed by a few Twitter uh, uh, Twitter uh, personalities, is that. I think we can infer what kind of criteria people are, um, they're trying to look for when they uh, think about these invitees, but it's not consistent or it's not clear enough. And I think it really um, leaves a lot of the dedicated people who have been streaming or who are, have been working other media outlets, for example, um, or social media outlets, for example, a bit disillusioned, which I do sympathize with. And, with, and that's, that's coming from someone who, like, who doesn't really care about getting into these, right? And like there, there were a few selections that I did raise my eyebrows at. Like for example, uh, when uh, Savage was invited in, into the uh, uh, the MPL, I was like, okay, well, if they're trying to cover cover the Hearthstone uh, subsection, then why didn't they invite Jason uh, Amaz, who actually has been uh, has proven to be a accomplished. Um, accomplished uh, a magic player. He has uh, top eight Grand Prix already, and yet he was passed over. And to my understanding, Savich had only started uh, streaming magic very recently. So uh, there, there was a bit of inconsistency in terms of why he was picked over a Moss, for example, or Eli Loveman um, being the uh, uh, reigning MC champion, um, not being invited despite there being a precedence for that. Um, but I think a little bit of clarity uh, instills a lot of like consumer and like player of, uh, player base confidence, while not really like hurting them as a whole. Because you know I think people are going to accept and be encouraged by the fact that they're going towards more representation or you know just covering a greater uh, a broader uh, player base, and it's going to be good not only for business uh, uh, purposes as well as the game itself and ha like, having a better product. It, it is fun to have these challengers try to take like the pros down, uh, etc. So th that's like my issue with it. I don't, I don't hate the uh, uh, central idea whatsoever. But as usual, like we're, uh, wizards may have good ideas, but the execution might be very poor. I think this is uh, a case of that. So, so sum it up quickly. What, what would you do differently, John? Then. I think as wizards, I would just come out and say that, hey, you know, uh, MC, uh, the, the arena MC is we're trying to promote the game a bit more. We're trying to have uh, more personalities or we're trying to cover underrepresented, uh, underrepresented population. And, you know, like the criteria, like you don't have to give like hard number, you know, like X followers, like the Red Bull tournament did, for example. I think the Red Bull untapped tournament required 10K Twitch uh, followers. I don't necessarily think that you need to be that explicit, but just have like a broad like timeline, do you, a broad uh, guideline. Do you need to be an influencer? Do you need to be uh, uh, visible in social media? Do you need to be uh, dedicated to the game? Do you need to have results, et cetera? Like, like all people are asking for. Um, another, another example is like, you know, when uh, Jessica Estefan was um, uh, elected or uh, uh, put into the MPL, their reason was that uh, she was the highest pro point getter in the 2018 uh, 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 season for female players. And I think that's actually a very good uh, thing to do for the MPL. But like, I, I would think that people, uh, other female players who may have been interested in that would have loved to know that this was like on sta uh, at stake or this could have been a, a potential criteria to work towards if they are 
uh, aspiring like magic pros. So that, those are the things I'm talking about. Just like a better visibility, no second guessing, and just like try to instill some more consumer and player based confidence is what I'm asking for. Hmm. I I, I get the feeling like Elliot's on the opposite end. Like doesn't care. <laughs> I'm like totally on the opposite of John and you know I'm I, I mean that. like an enfranchised competitive magic player for years now I've like spent years grinding to get to the pro tour I finally played a pro tour I'm trying to get back to the pro tour I, I care a lot about knowing you know what my path to the pro tour is but I don't think it's fair to criticize Watsi for you know the position they're put in I don't think it's fair to say you know if Watsi had come out and said that the top uh, the like the the woman with the most pro points this season is going to get a spot in the MPL because it's you know it's it's not like women who were who were going to be influenced by that were like skipping events because they thought that the pro points didn't matter if they were enfranchised they were going to the events anyway they were trying to get the pro points regardless of it being written down somewhere that it would do directly to the MPL like people who are chasing this dream are chasing this dream. And the other thing is I don't think it's important at all to uh, lay out the specifics for what uh, will reward a discretionary invite to the arena MCs. I think that not only is it fine to give them the leeway to invite whoever they want to this, um, and I think that the people they invited are, are really well-deserving. Like Whether or not they write down criteria of X followers or you know Y success, at the end of the day, the, the criteria that they went with is dedication to magic. You know, there are people, you know, like uh, LSV and um, LSV's in there, a lot of pro players from, you know, years ago who are getting there for their merits, for they had success at magic at the highest level. There are a few Twitch streamers who, you know, were maybe newer to the game, only picking them the past few years or only getting invested and started streaming in the past little bit. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's all just dedication to magic. And anyone who's chasing the pro tour, who chased the pro tour is dedicated. And I don't think that the dedication that leads to, you know, traveling eight hours every other weekend to play a PTQ or flying across the country to play a GP to try to qualify is that much different than, you know, your stream being effectively a nine to five, 40 an hour job, 40 hour a week job. And, I, you know, you can complain all you want because, you know, X person or Y person didn't get in. And, oh, I, I you know, I, I love Kenji's stream. Why isn't Kenji there? You know, at the end of the day, there's only 16 slots. There's probably hundreds of people who are, you, you make a great case for being invited to this, but they have to pick only 16. You know, Kenji was invited to the last one. Does he need to be invited to this one? Will he be invited to the next one? I don't know. And as soon as you, you mentioned things like, you know, why wasn't Kenji invited? You're, you're stamping down that one of the 16 people didn't deserve it. You're saying that Kenji's more deserving than, than person number 16. And I just think it's like needlessly negative. I think we should be supportive of the people who did get invited. Uh, you know, it's a different um, path that Watsi's taken by doing these discretionary invites. The closest we've come to this is having things like uh, special invites to pro tours, which is, you know, a thing they did six, seven years ago, where if you, you know, if you got close, they sent you an invite. Um, and 
I think that this is Watsi is deserving of a lot of criticism recently. They've done a lot of things wrong, and this is not one of them. Increasing representation, no matter you know if it's done to seventy percent instead of one hundred percent or sixty percent, any increase, any positive mo- momentum towards this is for the better of magic, and I look forward to it. And I think that criticizing it is just needlessly negative. I think you do make an excellent point about how um, just saying what if what if why didn't X Y Z make it? Because that's like a really slippery slope, right? It has a negative connotation of you know if you're complaining about that, by definition, you are complaining about who is someone who made it. And no matter who was picked there, there's always going to be that sort of complaint. So I, I do agree, and this what I, I did fall into this trap at first when I. Uh, during my first reaction, uh, what about X, Y, Z? So I don't think that's a good way to look at it. Um, I, th- I think like we're in agreement with the the general uh, general direction and objective of Watsi. I still think that it's valid to criticize their execution. For example, like if I can touch in on just like one example where you said like uh, the grinders who are grinding will always like try, try, always go on, you know, just having the criteria announced won't affect them. I kind of disagreed, and I think that having if not an explicit uh, uh, incentive structure, at least like some like guideline, I, it does make people uh, go to certain things. Like you have seen t- uh, people on Twitter saying, hey, you know, I'm like X points away from gold or X points away from silver until it expires. I'm going to go fly there. Um, I was talking to Sean Dollywall, our own detective, for example, and he explicitly said, I know that silver, uh, I'm very close to silver. I'm going to Washington this week, and if I'm not um, going to Washington this week, I'm probably going to go to Seattle and try to get the last like one or two um, pro points, for example. And if, if everything was in the dark, and if he didn't know what he was uh, working towards, I think it does influence the decisions that people are making. So I do think that at least outlining the guideline for what they're looking for, um, because obviously I don't think they're going to give like an explicit, you know, per viewer or whatever else criteria they're um, they may have. I don't think that's ever going to happen, but I do think that just having a subjective or just like a guideline, as I said, I keep saying that word, I think it does, it doesn't hurt them to do that. I think it will like have a net positive effect. I'm not sure if you agree with that or not. I mean, this may be you and I, or at least me focusing too much on the specific example you gave of the top pro point earner among women in 2018. But, you know, had Watsi announced that the top pro point winner in 2018 will replace the th- the 32nd MPL player when they get kicked out for sexual harassment or for cheating, do you think that people would fly across the country assuming that someone's going to get kicked out of the MPL so they can get their spot? No. You know, obviously, if you if you come out and say an MPL spot is reserved for the woman who makes the most pro points, people will fly. But at the like. Once again, the filling of the spots for the MPL is like not something necessarily that Watsi was prepared for, or at least prepared to announce a plan for. I think it's like super pessimistic for them to say, welcome to the MPL. Here's what happens when we kick someone out. No, I, I, that's certainly a good point, And it might be that the example is not like fully applicable here. That's why I did caveat by, caveat it by saying that whether it was the MPL slot or any other major, uh, uh, major slot in another event. I do think that the general concept of having like having visibility towards what people are working towards is a valid one, and I'm like in general I'm a supporter of this like, direction uh, that OP is going. Um, I maybe we can we just have to agree to disagree. I think that the execution could be better. 
All right. I think, man. I love it. I, I love this. I have, one, I have one quick thing I want to say. Screw GoFundMe? I got something I want to say. So a lot of people are complaining. They're like, uh, it's not fair that this uh, Mythic Championship, you don't know how to qualify. There's like, of the 68 slots or whatever, all of them except for 16, there's like, it tells you how to qualify. Be one of the 32 players in the MPL or be one of the 16 players who won the Arena MCQ. There's just these 16 slots that are discretionary, and that's their criteria, their discretion. Like, that's how I feel about it. And I don't think they should lay out criteria because then that could, like, I don't know, it could heed their ability to pick who they want to be in this tournament. It could pick their ability to, or heed their ability to pick the best players for them for whatever their goals are in this tournament. And I think uh, by... by doing that, it would be a negative. And I think currently, I think them just picking 16 people based on, I don't know, what whatever makes sense to them for the tournament at the time with like a combination of representation and also like eyeballs on the, on the stream, I think that's okay. And I think I would rather have that than them lay out like, these are what these 16 slots are. Uh, yeah, I, I get your point, Andy. Um, I, I just think that leaving the general player base to infer what the criteria is rather than doing the vice versa. I think it, it really, really does risk alienating people, um, the, the dedicated uh, player base. Now, if the argument is that this will make the pie bigger and it'll, like, who cares about the uh, more devoted and older player base when we're going to get like, a lot of new blood, that's one argument. But uh, I'm generally in the... Um, camp of more communication and clearer communication and transparency is better. Um, whether that means that you explicitly outline every single detail or just have give a general statement about what, what the scope of the arena MC, whether it's the uh, only on merits only or whether you want to do more than that, whether you want to uh, promote the game, whether you want to have more visibility for the less uh, enfranchised player base, I think that does make a difference. I think that's where I'll leave it at, leave it at today. Yeah, so, like, you say you're, like, worried about, like, people, like, not knowing whether or not, like, this is something for them. But, like, for example, you, John, you do you think you'll be one of these 16 players? No, right? No. Never, right? I don't care. I don't care to either, though. Well, me either. I don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. And But here's the thing. Is Kenji the type of the person that could get one of these slots? Yeah. So he knows that this is one of the things he could get. Even if he didn't get it this time, he understands that this is something he could get. And it's also, like, a free roll for them. But I, I think the kind of people are like magic personalities or people that uh, help grow magic. And I think most people know whether or not they would stand a chance for that kind of thing. And I don't think there's going to be a lot of disappointed people, especially after you see the kind of people who got invited this time. Like you and me, we're enfranchised magic players, but we don't, we don't have the effect on the, the game that people like Emma Handy do. We don't. And I think we understand that. And I think a lot of people know where they kind of stand in that. I don't think there's going to be too many disappointed people. I think it's like a small minority. And even the people who are disappointed are like likely to get it later. Oh, that's fair enough. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love this. I think that was like... I think my favorite, well, my favorite discuss, debate in a while. Like the first time, like you guys really uh, went at it in a disagreement. 
And I don't know. I, and I felt like the appeal of both sides. Like, I, I do feel like, man, I'm loving Andy's points and Elliot's points. I'm loving John's points as well. I, I like, I see the, the pros of, of why he's thinking of um, why would encourage some people if it was more clear for, for maybe not all 16 slots, but maybe some of the slots. I don't know. But I also see the, the positives of, of just, you know, just let them invite who they think is uh, best for the game. So I think we'll, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> What's virtual card advantage? Virtual card advantage, I mean, we're in the world of where card advantage matters less if you jam turn three Nissa. That's why you can play Grazer. You can play card disadvantage spells if it leads if it leads to a snowball effect. Nissa's card advantage because it turns your lands into three threes car. Read up. <laughs> Ooh. It also turns track. all your forests into another forest. Um I'm trying to look up this card to make sure I'm not. Oop, I got muted. I'm looking up this card to make sure I'm not getting it wrong. Yeah, I got destroyed by Ritual of uh, Soot recently. Like, play Mana Dorks, make a bunch of guys, and he's like, no problem, bro. Boom. I'm like, holy Armageddon. I'm just dead. <laughs> Have you ever played against Tomic Distinguished Advocate? It, it totally turns off Nissa. You can't make your lands 3-3s against it. I heard, I heard that some tech. I said people laying one or a few copies either in the main or the cyber of their white weenie decks. I think even, I don't know, maybe Jerry advocates for that as well. So um, what else to look for? I, I think that's it for now. I, I think, oh, yeah, the only thing I want to touch up upon is, like, I think amongst the people in the MPL, they are really, I mean, my sources, no, my inside sources. Tell me, like, inside the NFL, a lot of people, but it's no secret. They've been pretty public about it that they think it's the end of, um, yeah, the MPL as they see it and as they hope to see it. And that professional, um, they're, they're pretty down on this. And, and um, I, I'm hopeful that it's – that they're just over-worried that this guy – it's falling, and then Watsi's just going to announce something awesome. But uh, I, I don't – for me, I don't know what about you guys. I, I do think it's important to have competitive magic as, as part of the whole thing. And But it's clear, like, like I think Andy mentioned it, like the NPL clearly is not working in terms of the weekend events where they just have – unless it's just the stream I'm checking, they just have the pictures of the dudes or, or girls – that are playing like just the pictures, not the webcam images. So you don't even, you can't even tell their real life reaction to some of the spells that they're being cast or some of the sequence of plays. It's just the picture's pretty bad. Yeah. Sometimes it is aggressively boring. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Um, I have never tuned in for like longer than five minutes and I'll watch anything when it comes <laughs> to like magic. It's so boring. And like I'll, I remember the first time I watched it, I'll, just be, I'll keep it very short. Is like we're watching a game. It's like Brad Nelson versus somebody, and it's like a really intense game one. And then this thing comes up on the screen. It's like Brad won, and it just tells me who won that goddamn match. <laughs> I was so invested, and I wanted to watch the rest of it. 
And they're just like, yeah, Brad won the whole thing, just so you know. All right, next. <laughs> I'll hold you to your beyond. I'll keep it short, too. It's not relatable. The product is good. They're misusing the talent. Please do something about it. It's it's a challenge. I, is it me? Am I the only one here who watches like who watched poker after dark or whatever all those poker shows in, in their oh, prime? I have I watched did. so much poker after dark. It's outrageous. So what's interesting is that they did do this uh, just just only two years ago. They did this for co- uh, poker, and they called it the GPL, not the MPL, the GPL. They had all these celebrities. They they even had a draft. They had a bunch of famous players, like a lot of people that you may know were in it. They even had celebrities in it. Aaron Paul was part of the GPL. You probably never heard of it because it was a massive failure in terms of viewership. And they would have like these weekend events where people would have their webcams and play in basically a sit and go. And I guess in the same type of setting, and it was just not compelling enough. So I mean, if Aaron Paul failed and other things, it's, it's, it's a huge challenge to make it compelling viewing, I guess. An online game where you're not next to a person and, and you don't feel the, the humanness of the game. I, yeah, so I'm... I'm yeah, I, I've even found some of the fandom legend stuff to be a little, like the commentary to be a little off, especially when it's like two people streaming from their home or whatever. I found that to be like unwatchable and I would just watch the people streaming themselves and like, it'd be cool if I could watch the MPL players stream their match. Obviously they're not playing at the time. So I don't know how that would really work, but I would be really cool to hear like Brad Nelson talk through all his plays or something like that in an MPL match. Right. That'd be kind of cool. Like he's already recording it. Just get the man's face in there. And like, let's, we're going to watch Brad Nelson's point of view from this whole match. Something. Give me something. <laughs> to, to be fair, Andy, he has done that, and certain other people have done that. You know, here's my side and here's their side. But I agree. It's, I think that's super interesting, and perhaps if they can integrate us somehow into the actual programming, I, that's something I'd watch. It's, like, high level, and it, you can really relate to the things that they're thinking because they're saying out loud and all that. I think that would make it much more watchable. Too bad it's just, like, too expensive to just, like, fly them in for an event or whatever. Just make them live in Seattle or something. Yeah. Make them all move. Big Brother 1. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Big Brother MTG. It'd be, it'd be so good. It'd be actually good, I think. Um, Elliot, did you want one final thought? Yeah, I just wanted to mention, like, we'll look at the, the Team Modern Super League. I definitely had to open a new tab and wasn't watching this previously, but they have 2,500 viewers right now. And, you know, it's like relatively high level commentary. A lot of the times they have pro players playing. I have, I have no idea what they're paying them to be there, but it's got to be less than what they're paying the MPL players. So why can't they just do something similar? <laughs> I actually found the format very interesting because like, it's like lounging. It's like relaxing. You know, when when like two players are playing, like the other players on the on different teams are the ones commentating, and I like the relaxing atmosphere. However, they are also experts, and they do uh, provide expert expert commentary as well. So it's really interesting in that regard. And if they can get that much viewership using a crappy old client, like there's got to be something that we can do with Arena. Yeah, it's obviously like lower stakes, more casual and relaxed. You know, we talked earlier about how Modern's being busted open by Hogark and Neoform, but Team Channel Fireball submitted a Celestial Kieran Eldrami's call deck for this tournament. 
for uh, this week. So like, you know, it's definitely more relaxed and laid back, but I think that's like something that would be cool to see the MPL. Obviously they're playing for a lot of money, but if you record the matches previously in the week and then have the players come back and have something more, perhaps a little more lighthearted doing coverage, I think it would be really interesting. Agreed. I think, uh, well, one last thought, John. I'll, I'll wrap it up after mine. Yeah, like, I think the talent and the infrastructure is there for it to be a success. Like, some people are arguing that this should be the epitome of highest level um, highest level of play, which I agree, but I don't think they necessarily have to stick to that, you know, because it's, it's in everyone's best interest if you, like, have, like, a midweek, you know, session of, hey, you know, let's start using popper only, or let's, let's do an eight-person eight draft. That's like so cool. Wouldn't, that, wouldn't it be that so cool to have like eight, eight of the uh, eight, like thirty-two of the best players do an eight-person eight uh, pod for drafting? Not only does that promote their product arena as well as a draft, it also shows like how each person thinks. Or they can have like promotional events, like okay, here's a modern week, or here's like some th- thematic week. And you might argue that's not like what they signed up for, because all like all people want to do is to have a pinnacle of the best players in the world playing monotone like standard matches, but like, I think it's it's beneficial beneficial for them as well because they get to show off their creativity and they get to show off their personality as well, which will in turn theoretically promote their social media and uh, Twitch presence, and it promotes the viewership on the Magic Channel as well. So I think they can they can have really synergistic opportunities to like feed off of each other. But the way it's formatted right now, like they uh, their talent and their uh, range as a player as players is being severely restricted. So I don't know who mentioned this. Um, I heard it. Someone suggested like what maybe it doesn't have to be on Saturday where it's competing against other live events going on. Maybe it could be like midweek and maybe we would have more success there. And uh, we'll see like, you know, it's, it's um, if they make, I hope they make adjustments. I hope they just, I hope they don't can it. I really think, I don't know. I, don't think it's been a success so far, but I do think a version, I'd like them to see, just see them tweak it and see if it works before they decide to kill it. Um, okay. Again, if you want to support the show, just like, subscribe, comment, patreon.com slash first strike. I'll probably do um, at least a white weenie guide this week uh, for the patrons and maybe, maybe even a bad manipulation uh, guide with, just get some input from Tangrooms and just put it all together for uh, people in the nation. Um, and then get John to make some outsource uh, content. So uh, with that, for Andy, Elliot, John, myself, hope Andy and I win our MCQs and hope Elliot has fun um, on, on his awesome weekend. <laughs> so bye, everyone.